Welcome to the Church on a Hill podcast. This is Pastor Corey Lahiri, and the Church on a Hill podcast is a ministry of Palouse Federated Church in Palouse, Washington. We are glad you joined us for this podcast, and we hope that that this will bless you. Please be seated. We're going to be in the book of Jude, the second to last book of the New Testament. The fancy word is the penultimate book of the New Testament. That's too fancy for me. It means not the last book, but the second to last. Okay. Uh, book of Jude, verses 8 through 16, as we're trying to seek God's light through this little powerful book to give us clarity or, or truthful vision in this foggy age we live in. And to, the key word last week was contending. Because Paul said we need to contend for the faith, a passionate, urgent struggle uh, internally uh, and inside our churches to stick to what is true and right. And today the key word is learning, learning. We are contending and part of contending is learning and learning things we don't know, learning from history, God's history from the scriptures, and also then applying that to ourselves, learning things about ourselves that we did not know in order that we can better see God's plan or future for us. Now, Psalm 139 is one of my favorite psalms, if not my favorite psalm. don't know if you're supposed to have a favorite psalm, but uh, it ends with this really emotionally, mentally, spiritually healthy and humbling prayer. Last two verses of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Love that prayer. The psalmist just daring God. God, there's stuff I don't know about myself. So you who know everything, search me. Try me. And then show me what you see. Grievous ways. Or in other translations, they have show me any anxious ways. Show me any ways I'm trusting myself and therefore anxious rather than trusting you, oh God. Search me. Try me. Basically, show me what I don't know. But you know, God. Show me what's wrong. Behaviors, attitudes, wrong beliefs, habits I shouldn't have. And then lead me in your everlasting way, right? Or what Jesus calls the narrow path. What a prayer, really? Isn't that an amazing prayer? I think that's an amazing prayer. Teach me, God, something I do not know about myself. Teach me something I do not know about myself. That's kind of dangerous. Because you don't know what you don't know about yourself, right? And then if God shows you and you go, oh, no, right? <laughs> Didn't know I was like that, right? But that's good. That's called growth. It's good to learn the truth and learn about yourself. And this is a scary thought. And I know I shared it on the email this week. I, I, I try to share it frequently because it's kind of a mind-bending but important thought. That being wrong when you don't know you're wrong feels exactly like being right. Say that again. Being wrong when you don't know you're wrong feels exactly like what it feels like when you're right. Because you don't know you're wrong. Right? So you can confidently be wrong and be happy in a sense because you haven't realized yet that you're wrong. Now, when you're wrong and you know you're wrong, that's that's a different sermon. (laughs) But you can confidently do and say the wrong thing without fear when you don't know it's the wrong thing. You just don't know. Until what? Until you learn what's true or until someone or something somehow shows you 
the better way, the right vision of who you should be or how you should act. And that's what Jude is doing for me. And I pray that Jude will be doing for you as we go through this series. It is helping us to see something about ourselves and our local church community here, giving us a vision of what we need to see that, frankly, we aren't seeing. So let's pray. God, may the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, dear Lord. For you are truly our rock and our redeemer. You are the author and therefore the authority. So you alone should we rightly fear. You alone should we fully follow. You alone should our lives be founded upon. And I pray for each person listening here or online or to record or in a recording or whatever you do with that in the future, God, uh, that they would be praying as they listen. Search me, try me, show me. Give me vision, God, of who you want me to be. And I pray others would pray that for themselves and pray that we as a church would see who you are calling us to be. Speak through your word. May we have ears to hear and hearts that re rejoice in your truth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in the book of Jude. Remember, it's just one chapter, so it's verses 8 through 16 today. Jude, starting with the 8th verse. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in the autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. All right. Well, brief, brief review of this little letter of Jude, uh, who is written by the, the younger brother of Jesus, written for the early church for Christians, maybe original location or area, but then is one of these letters that was distributed widely, given to all. And it was written because even in the early times, uh, people are trying to creep into the Christian movement, 
uh, and use it for their own gain or twist the teachings uh, for their own uh, preferences, I guess you say. Instead of being obedient to all that Jesus has taught, they have their own slant on it. And so Jude is, is saying, watch out for those who creep in. They're just like the folks of the past, whether it's folks in Sodom and Gomorrah, that Old Testament story, or some of these stories he mentioned today. So he writes this letter to, to tell people, contend for the faith. Don't just be passive as being a Christian, but urgently wrestle and, and struggle for the faith. Your, your faith in this world you're going to have trouble, as Jesus said, right? So contend for the faith, Jude says. Urgently, passionately want to learn and grow. And seek God's vision for us, is what we're doing, in the fog of life. Seek the truth. And so in, in our section today, he talks about those, again, who are going the wrong way. And he mentions dreams. And so we have lying dreams and dreamy liars, Right? And he, he brings up Michael, the, arch, uh, the archangel, uh, and this Jewish piece of fiction that was written around the time of Jesus. It was popular. It's not in the Bible, in case you're like, I've never heard of that story of the archangel Michael showing, having a showdown with uh, the devil. Well, it's not in the Bible. Okay? You didn't miss it. It was a Jewish piece of literature that the audience at, in Jude's time would have been aware of. And part of the story, we don't have all of it because it hasn't survived all the centuries, but... Other Christians wrote about this, and we, we put the pieces together, and we understand that, that the devil was trying to find Moses' body. God had not allowed Moses to go into the Holy Land, and Moses died, and his body was hidden. We know that from the Old Testament. And so in this piece of literature that was written, they kind of imagined the devil going down to find Moses' body and then present it to the Israelites so that they would venerate him and almost use Moses as an idol. And this is the story, and so God sends down the archangel Michael to interrupt that, because that would be bad, right? To turn a hero in the, of the faith into an idol, right? Get the people of God distracted. And so Michael comes down to show down, have a showdown with the devil, and really this is a story of truth versus deception, of healthy spirituality versus a false spirituality, and, and that it shows us that evil is a liar, right? And, and the evil one, it's his native language. So he's... So basically, though, it also shows us with Michael's response that he doesn't come down and say, I'm the archangel Michael, and I've been sent by God. I'm important. And therefore, devil, stop what you are doing. If he had done that, the devil would have gone, that's one of the responses I wanted. That would have been blasphemous in a way. But he comes down, he comes down as a servant, even though he is the archangel Michael, and he says the most powerful thing you could say, the Lord rebuke you. Humbly. In a sense, just saying, I'm just an archangel. The Lord rebuke you. Right? Right? Okay. So, so that's a bit of what's going on there. And, and he's, he's using it to say there are, there are people who want to twist believers and give false messages. There are people who use their dreams as, or their so-called dreams to try to mislead God. Their so-called visions. The devil was in this story, had this vision of bringing Moses and, and impressing the people. Well, there's people that try to do impressive things in the church. There's people in Jeremiah's time that were trying to make God sound impressive in their own eyes, as if God needs our help. Because God in Jeremiah's time was telling Jeremiah, you need to tell my people they are messed up and they need to repent and that trouble is coming their way. Jeremiah had a real tough job, right? He had to go and say, hey, we need to repent. God's ticked off. We're not being obedient. We're, we're going in false ways. But they didn't like Jeremiah. The people didn't because he was telling them the truth, all these hard messages. 
And so Jeremiah had to say things like Jeremiah 23, starting with verse 16. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to these words of the prophets who prophesied to, prophesied to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They, they say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you, right? We say, it's all good, right? And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, we say, what do we say today? Follow your heart. To everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. Fast forward to verse 25 in, in Jeremiah 23. He says, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name. I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal? Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. He's basically saying, you're falling for people's dreams and visions. He's saying this in Jeremiah's time, but it's for us too, right? We fall for people who, who give us a feel-good faith that, that doesn't talk about obedience or fear of the Lord or, or confessing your sins or reconciling. They just talk about, you know, the things that make us feel good. You know, they emphasize part of the gospel without the part where you have to admit your sin. Oh, God always meets you where you're at. Absolutely true. And where you're at is you're a filthy sinner. And you need to repent. So if you only hear part of that, it's, it's not good news, actually. Right? Well, and, and, and one is straw and one is wheat. Well, I don't have to explain that around here, right? One's worth a little bit more than the other. What does straw have in common with wheat? He's basically saying, go ahead and tell your stupid dreams. They're not, they're not the truth. Is not my word, verse 29, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? I hope each of us has experienced God's word like fire at least once in our life or many times. If you haven't, pray for that today. Dangerous prayer. Moving on, verse 30. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets who, uh, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare declares the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. So there are people who lie. There are people who say, who use their quote-unquote experience or their feelings or their emotions or their dreams and, 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 and there have been some major heresies that have been started through, I had this vision, I had this new interpretation, I received these golden plates, whatever, you know. I mean, people follow this stuff, it's real. So believers need to be reasoning, he says, not like, and it's kind of harsh, but he says, believers need to be reasoning, not like unreasoning animals. That, that sounds insulting, not like unreasoning animals. There he is, right? <laughs> uh, we, we don't want to be... Uh, and un- that, I, who wants to be called that, right? An unreasoning animal. Uh, he, he said Christians should be thinking people, not just going on instinct or what feels good. A, a church that's guided by just what feels good and, and, and that's how you get your vision, 
Or, you know, what are people's felt needs out there? That, that was a big thing they taught leaders for a while. There's a church that will soon go off track from the obedience to God's word and the gospel. Right? We need to care about what people are feeling. Don't get me wrong. But, but we, we need to be reasoning. What is the truth? What do people really need to hear? Yes, what are they feeling? But what is the truth? They wrongly understand. They, they understand instinctively, he says. They care more about their instincts and their emotions, their feelings, their dreams, their perceptions. Well, perception is reality, Pastor. Oh, I hate that saying. That's what we said. One of the things we say. Perception matters, of course, but it's not reality. There is reality, and there are how people perceive it, but let's, let's be wise, right? So, you know, what, what, what he's saying, they, they understand instinctively and they follow their emotions. We, it, it's the cart leading the horse. God wants your mind and your, your surrendered soul to lead, even when you don't feel like it, even when, you don't, when your dreams don't get answered the way you want, right? Or your feelings aren't there yet. He wants you to do what's right, what's good, what you know to be true, what the word says to be true, even when you don't feel like it. Saying to you, don't follow your heart. I'm saying to you, sometimes your instincts are absolutely wrong. This is not what we hear in the world. You've heard it said, those things, but the word says to you differently. But good news is here, God does care about our emotions. It's just, you know, uh, as I heard Kerry Newhoff on a, say recently on a podcast, he said, in our culture, we're letting emotions come before obedience. But what we need to do is be obedient, and then emotions will follow. Think about that deep statement. Sometimes, and parents know this well, we have to say, oh, honey, it's okay. You don't have to feel like do doing your chores. <laughs> you just have to do them, right? Be obedient, and then emotions follow. Sometimes we don't feel like doing some of the things that Christ calls us to, repenting, confessing, calling up someone and saying, I was wrong, right? But we are obedient, and the emotions follow, and he teaches us, right? Sometimes we know the right thing, and we, we know what is good and true, but we don't want to do it because we, quote, unquote, don't feel like it. Hmm. Well, let's look at some people who've been guided by their feelings and their own instinct. How about Cain, Genesis 4? Cain provides a, an unworthy sacrifice because his heart isn't right. He's, trying, he's, he, he's not doing it for the worship and glory of God. He, he's doing it for himself. And when God know, knows his heart and says his sacrifice is unacceptable, he's jealous and he's mad at his brother. It wasn't Abel's fault. Abel had a right heart towards God. But Cain was like an unreasoning animal guided by his instincts. And so instead of looking at his own issues and saying, give me vision, God, for, for why my sacrifice was unacceptable. Give me vision for why I'm feeling this jealousy. He did what a lot of us do and said, well, the problem isn't me. It couldn't be me. I'm awesome. I'm going to kill Abel and then I won't have any problems. Boy, we still do that. He was wrong. Or how about Balaam in Numbers 22? Balaam, this prophet outside of the people of Israel, but he, he used the things of spirituality to, to, for his own financial gain, but not, it wasn't about the honor of God, right? Now, there are people who can work for God, like pastors and others who can, who can be paid to do that, but they have to keep God's glory first and foremost or it's gonna go awry, right? And boy, it did with Balaam. How about Korah and the rebellion? Number 16, you can read about this. Now, Korah and the group, they, they, they didn't like that God decided to give authority to Moses and Aaron. 
Why should more of us have authority? We're pretty cool. It was the first democracy, in a way, or attempt. And they kind of voted amongst themselves in a, in a way and said, well, let's confront them. And there were hundreds of them. And then thousands of them when you count the families and the supporters. And basically they're saying, we should be able to be coming before God like you do, Moses and Aaron. And isn't, isn't the group always right? Isn't it always right when you have popular opinion? I mean, aren't, isn't it all about relationships? That's, again, a half part of the gospel. Of course, relationships are important. And one thing we say in the church, it's all about relationships. Other religious movements have relationships. It's, it's, it's all about truth and relationships, right? So Korah and their rebellion, they, they wanted to be able to take incense before God like the priests, and, 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 but God hadn't ordained them. And you know what God did in that story? He opened the earth and swallowed them alive with the earth. It, it, read it for yourself. But, but Jude is giving example after example. He said, hey, within our own Jewish history and background, we have examples of people who are led by their instinct, their feeling, right? Who get twisted up with the wrong idea, who are part of the truth, but they're really guided by their self-glory instead of God's glory. And so they kill their brother. They use God's name for profit, but they don't care about God's glory, and they... They seek to do what's right and popular without considering if it's actually from God. And these folks are dangerous. And, and then Jude says, and they're actually amongst you. He says, they are at your love feasts. They, they're like hidden reefs at your love feasts. Now, love feasts, in case you think this is a weird thing, it, it, it's it, agape love, it, this selfless love that, that believers in Christ were called to have for one another. Their, their worship service were called love feasts that you came and they had a, a gathering together, weekly gathering, where they ate food together, and as they did so, they remembered the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and they, they prayed, and they probably shared songs in different ways than we do, but they, they did. They heard, they heard messages. They, they, they read stories from Scripture. They probably orally shared the stories of Jesus before they had the Gospels written down. And so they had these gatherings. And what Jude is saying, hey, at some of your luffy, some of your worship services, meaning your Christian gatherings, there are hidden reefs or things beneath the surface that can sink what God wants to be doing in you. Hidden reefs. Now, how do you know a reef isn't there if you always stay at the surface? Right? He's saying that there's stuff going to happen. There's people going to creep in. He's already said that. Now he's saying there's, there's hidden reefs. But if you, if you just want to feel good Christianity where you're at the top swimming along, sunbathing, but you don't recognize that there are things that can come along. There are people that can come in. There are ideas that can even creep into your own heart that can actually sink you. If you, if you aren't willing to go deep enough to ask God to show you those things, God, show me if I'm believing any wrong thing, any grievous way. In me. Show me if I'm treating people in wrong ways. Show me if I'm making your, your faith into something that is worldly, ungodly. He says they feast without fear. Meaning they, they either, here's the options that I could think of. You could probably think of more. You're smart folks. But either they don't know that they're doing this and they're just one of those people. They don't know that they're doing it so they don't have fear because they think they're right but they're wrong, right? Or... And that's dangerous. 
or they know they are wrong and they don't care. Both are scary, frankly. And both happen inside of local Christian churches and have happened inside of Christian movements. So, so, but his point here is to say, hey, folks who are doing that and folks who let that happen, who stay on the surface and don't admit there could be reefs and who don't, do, who don't uh, practice an obedient, lo- learning, growing faith where they got, say, God, show me, teach me, right? If, if, you, if, we, if we just go by instinct, if we don't have a deeper faith, if we don't know how to learn from the scriptures and develop that deeper reasoning, that scriptural thinking, um, we're going to be useless. And then he, he's done scriptural examples. Now he goes to the natural world and he says, you're going to be as useless as a shepherd who doesn't feed a sheep, as clouds that never give rain, as trees that don't bear fruit, as waves that just stir up foam or drama, we might call it, you know, and as wandering stars, which we probably know as planets today, that kind of wander around, but they never help people get out of their darkness because you can't navigate by them because they change their position every night compared to the other stars that have a fixed kind of, we know where they're going to be and you can navigate by those stars. But wandering stars, people whose ideas don't have an anchor in the truth, they can't lead you out of darkness. Therefore, those types of folks are doomed for darkness, he says. We we don't want to be any of those things. Right? But what if we are and we just don't know it? Are you bold enough, humble enough to say, maybe I am? Maybe I have been hoodwinked in some part of my faith? If you're not humble enough to do that, let me submit to you. You've been hoodwinked. Because humility is the way into the faith. And if we think we're an experienced enough Christian or a knowledgeable enough Christian that there's no way I could be one of those misled people, God, thank you so much for Pastor Corey's sermon today so I could pray so confidently knowing, thank you, God, I am not like them that he talked about today. Peter said it this way in his letter that has so much similarities with Jude. He said, in 2 Peter 2, 19, that people are using this idea of Christ-given freedom. And he says, they, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. I want Christ to overcome me so I can be enslaved to him. I don't want to be ignorantly overcome by my selfish desires, my desire to be liked or something. Because if I am overcome by any of those worldly desires, that's who I serve. That's who my God is. If it's most important what I look like or if people like me or that I have money or something like that, whatever's most important to me, whatever I admire most, I'm enslaved to. I want to admire God most, truly, not just in talk and an idea. Because here's the thing, you will become like that which you honor and admire. You become what you behold? Are we really beholding God? Are we beholden to something or someone else? Well, he he gives another example from Jewish history. He quotes from Enoch, which again is not in our standard Bible. It's an apocryphal reading. It's a Jewish 
uh, writing, apocryphal part of the Bible in a sense for some, some Christians. And he says that Enoch, who was, you know, seventh from Adam, that, that in his writing, he, he, he says that the Lord and his holy ones are going to come and pronounce judgment. Well, we, we could also go to Revelation and hear basically the same thing, right? And then, and then he gives this quote from Enoch that's really cool where, where Enoch uses the word for ungodliness multiple times. Try to emphasize it as I read it. The ungodliness, ungodly ways. They were sinning, but not just sinning, sinning in an ungodly way. What does that mean, right? Well, there's sin, like saying a lie when you shouldn't say a lie. But then there's saying a lie and saying God said that it was okay for you to say that lie. One is sin and one is sinning ungodly. And then there's two different versions of that where you know you're doing that, okay? But there's also where you do that, but you're actually wrong and you don't realize It's still ungodly sin, right? And so what he's saying is there is too much ungodliness in the church, too much worldliness. The people of God are, this is a simple idea, but the people of God are to seek godliness, to be like God, and to admit on our own we are not. And therefore, we need to surrender to him and become obedient to his ways and search me, O God, and know me and try me, right? teach me. But the world says, no, he'll meet you where you're at and just be true to yourself. Follow your dreams. Right? To my own heart will I be true. And then when we add God language to that, it's very dangerous. So, what he's saying, in the word for ungodliness there in the Greek, it's, it's, a, it's a word, sebomai, It essentially means disrespecting God or not having reverence for God. So sinning, and then on top of your sin, you don't fear God. And the church so doesn't fear God in the modern age that we don't even like to use the phrase fear God. Or we've gotten to the point where we don't even like the word reverence. Or young Christians grow up not even knowing what the word reverence means. And in so doing, it's dangerous. Sebomai. We, if left to our own devices, will disrespect God. And we need God to show us where we're doing that. So what does Jude say? He says, hey, you don't want to be like these folks. They are grumblers, murmurers. Meaning, have you ever met a grumbler or a murmur? You can just point at someone right now. No, uh, someone you, that just always is expressing dislike. But a Christian who does that inside the church does it with a holy, you know, paint on top of it. Oh, the world. Those bad people of that sin and that sin. And they do that 100 times more than they ever pray for those folks. Grumblers, murmurers, malcontents. People following their own desires, following their own hearts, but they can't be happy, malcontent, unless they're blaming others, right? If only the Democrats would get out of the way. If only the Republicans. If only. 
We'd be happy if we had this thing. Malcontents. People who base their happiness, their contentness, contentedness on the wrong thing. And others are always the problem. Instead of saying, God, my blessedness comes through you. Blessed am I when I am meek, the scriptures say. Blessed am I when I'm poor in spirit. Blessed am I when I grieve over my sin. Blessed am I when I hunger and thirst for righteousness. You notice what all of those have in common? They're not mentioning other people causing, you know, disrupting your contentment. God says, I want to bless you, so admit you're poor in spirit. I want to bless you, grieve over your sin. I want to bless you, so be humble and meek. I want to bless you, so hunger and thirst for righteousness and know you don't have it on your own. I want to bless you, so be a peacemaker. I want to bless you, so be merciful to others. I want to bless you, be willing to be persecuted in my name. I just did seven of the Beatitudes. You know what's not in the Beatitudes? I will bless you if you get really good Americans at complaining about other people. And then we sit around and wonder why it doesn't feel like a blessed nation anymore. Do you get it? It's not them. It's us. Always has been. And the convicting part for me is it's me, too. Okay? I'm a loudmouth boaster sometimes. This is literally <laughs> the funny picture of a person with a swollen mouth. Who care, it's, it's a funny picture with the word who cares so much about their face but doesn't realize that their face is swollen. They, what the, the loudmouth boaster does is they're wanting to show favorites in order that people will give them likes back. I don't know if we struggle with this one. Like wanting to like somebody else's stuff so they'll like me back. But it's not really real. This is social media. But not just social media. It's why we like social media. Flattering faces, flattering surface, not going deeper with me or letting other people go deeper with me or going deeper with them so that they can like an image of me and I can like an image of them. But then nobody really changes or grows because to show other people our ugliness, we would have to be vulnerable and, and they would have to honestly care about us and we don't know if we can risk that even though God says that's, that's the path, poverty in spirit, humility, vulnerability. So what's the way forward? Repenting and learning. Repenting and learning. Repenting and learning. Repenting means to turn away from the things that are not good, not godly, but we have to know what those are, so we have to learn what those are in us. And as far as I know from the scriptures, this is done with sincere praying. Open-ended praying where you don't know the answers. Search me, God. Not prayers where just, it's, it's okay to pray for other people and situations, right? But if, if you're always praying for other people to get fixed and healed, never admitting that maybe there's something where you need to get fixed and healed that you don't even know about, Sincere prayers ask us, help me to see, God, that which I do not see. And Jesus says, some people have eyes but don't see. Basically, he says that. Some people have ears but don't use them to listen. 
So with these biblical and historical examples, his little brother Jude calls that out. And he says, there's the real possibility, folks, even the likelihood that you and in every local church, there are people who have lost the right vision of God and who God is calling us to be and have gotten off track. And for me, that's good to hear. Because if we were doing it perfectly and if every local church was doing it perfectly and this is what perfect is, no offense to us, but then, oof. That may have sounded insulting. I think it was. But it's the truth. We just aren't used to sometimes the truth. God wants us to keep growing and learning and to admit that we're not there yet. That's a real simple thing, that we need to be called to account. We like to say the scriptures God breathed, but we don't like the part where it says that it's useful for rebuke, correction, and that's not just for other people. We need an examination in order to have the right vision. Right? We don't want to be people who go to the eye doctor and just say, tell me I have good vision. We need the right examination. We need to learn what we do not know, see what we do not see. And when we truly seek God after he's shown us the good, very, very good news is when we repent and turn from it and admit it, he is faithful to forgive us. 1 John 1, 9, he will forgive you. He already knows, right? And nothing can separate you from his love in Jesus Christ, Romans 8. And then when we are honest and when we are humbled, we can have more of God's light for vision and it will be real. We will have more of God's power and it will be painful learning some things about yourself or ourselves as a church. But here's what I've learned is God's power comes through our willingness to suffer. God's power comes through pain. And some of you have learned that very personally. Or as Paul says, when I am weak, then he can be strong. When you pretend to be strong, you are so weak, and so am I. So it's good news to admit all this stuff, right? James 5, 16 puts it this way, the same exact thing I'm trying to say, except he says it lots better. He says, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Again, lots of people like to quote that last part. People have asked me for prayers, and they'll quote that last part. Your prayers are going to be effective. But you can't have that last part of that verse without the first part. Go back. The first part, go to the verse, please. The first part is repent, confess, right, to one another. And I don't know what it is. Some Protestants say, oh, that's a Catholic thing. <laughs> or I do that with Jesus. Maybe you didn't know. The one to another, it's to one another, particularly to the one that you fell short against. And that hurts to do that sometimes. God's power, though, will come through that pain. So when you learn about yourself, when we learn about ourselves what we didn't know and confess to one another, God can do things through us that are bigger than us, and that is good news. If we just want the things of God without going the ways of God, then be careful. We might just be playing someone else's tune. 
If we want the things of the divine, we have to do it the way of the divine. And it will be powerful. And so the good news is when we do it God's ways, we will have, we have stories in us that only God can do. And I, I've seen that in this congregation. Stories of life change where I have to sit back and say, only God would do that. Camille's not here today, but Camille's wildling story, only God. Only God. She got her wood stolen, and that's how she eventually came to faith. Weird stories, only God. Right? We got a water well in Africa because a man had a stroke and a girl, his girl, had a brain tumor. What? If you don't know that story, talk to about 50 of us who do. It's only God. When, when you're real and honest and say, God, we don't have it. We need you. God has a way of doing things then. And you sit back and say, oh, my God. Right? So, will we pray this way? Let's, maybe you're done with me at this point. That's fine. It's stirring in you. Maybe you're like, I think it's mostly right. If you want to join me, I'm going to go ahead and close my eyes because I've got this memorized, so I'm not going to look at who's standing. But if you're able to stand, I'd ask you to stand right now, and this is the closing to this sermon. And we're going to pray this prayer. Only God and the people next to you will know if you're standing or not. I won't. But let's pray Psalm 139 together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Oh God, may this be a true prayer from our hearts. And as we rightly humble ourselves before us, before you as a group and as individuals, teach us your ways. Teach us the things we do not know and lead us into deeper obedience. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, friends. I truly pray that this message blessed you. And if you want to find out more about our ministries or listen to other messages or videos of our worship services, you can check us out at palousechurch.org or search for Palouse Church on YouTube or check us out on Facebook or we are on uh, the Bible app. There's different ways to find us. You can always email me, Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, at palousechurch.org uh, to connect with me or to send me a prayer request. We really appreciate you connecting with us in this way, and may God bless your day.